1 Peter 1, 18 through 21, as we talk about the riches of redemption, the riches of redemption. If you wanted to sum up what the Bible is all about, it would simply be salvation or redemption. The Hebrew writer asked in the long ago, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews 2 and verse 3. God has blessed us richly with the opportunity to be able to enjoy the very blessings of redemption. And so to be saved, to be a part of the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the community of the saved, in a very specific way, I believe that the Apostle Peter outlines for us the riches of redemption. The first thing that I want you to notice this morning has to do with the plan of redemption. When we talk about the plan of redemption, what we're really doing is underscoring is the blueprint. You see, God had a blueprint for his redemptive plan even before the foundation of the world. Are you not grateful that God did not shoot from the hip, if you will, when it came to your salvation of your souls? I'm glad that he wasn't just shooting from the hip and that he knew what he was doing, but that God had a plan in place even before the world was ever created. And so I want you to notice 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, because here the apostle Peter speaks of Christ. Notice what he says, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Right? Now this takes us all the way back to the creation, doesn't it? The creation of the human family and the fact that before God ever created man, before he ever laid the foundation of the world in which you and I inhabit, God had in his marvelous plan, he had it in place, didn't he? We understand that God had made man in his own image and in his likeness. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And with that, he realized the propensity of the part of men or the part of man to make wrong choices, thus bringing sin into the lives of the human family. Unfortunately, we find that Adam and Eve both succumb to the temptation as revealed to us by Moses in Genesis chapter 3, but that God then began setting in motion his divine plan that had been in place before he ever created mankind. Now this plan begins to unfold there in Genesis 3 in verse 15. Typically we refer to it as the promised seed and inherent in the promised seed is the coming of the Messiah, the very son of God, right? The Christ. And from Genesis 3 forward, you find many of the Old Testament writers that are pointing to the coming of this Messiah, this promised seed, the one that you and I would call Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. So what about this divine plan? What about the fact that God had a plan in place? In Revelation 13 and verse 8, the Bible speaks of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 3, or Ephesians 1 in verse 3, the Apostle Paul speaks of the spiritual blessings that can only be found in heavenly places in Christ. 
And in verse 4, he says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And what Paul is saying there to the saints in Ephesus is simply this, that God chose the foreordained before the world was ever made to save the human family in his son, Jesus the Christ. And so he goes on to say in verse 5 of that text, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That was God's plan. Now you could turn over to chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, and you'll see that the apostle Paul talks about how he had received a revelation from God. He said in verse 3, he says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye, say, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And so his marvelous plan of redemption took off in Genesis 3.15, and that was when God began putting his plan in motion from that time forward. Now, you can begin reading in Genesis 3.15. You can begin moving through the Old Testament, if you will, and you'll read about all the great prophecies concerning the coming of Christ. Many times it was said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And they were looking forward to the cross, looking to that time that Christ, the Messiah, would come into the world. They didn't know when. They didn't know, but they knew that things had to go into place before it could. But that's what they were looking towards was the cross. Looking forward to that time. All of this is in accordance with God's great plan of redemption. For example, in Genesis 12, we read of the calling of Abraham. Abraham was introduced to leave his family or instructed to leave his family and his homeland and to go to a country that God would show him. He didn't know where he was going. He only knew that God was going to direct him in the, in the ways that he should go. In Genesis 12 and verse 2, God said, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, ultimately, the fulfillment of that prophecy would be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. How do I know that? Because in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, Paul said, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so the promise to Abraham was that in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed and would ultimately be realized in the Christ that is the Son of God. Now moving forward into Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, God through Moses said, I will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. 
all pointing to Christ, the Son of God. And then we think about Isaiah. Isaiah, in a very graphic way, depicted the coming of the Christ in Isaiah 7 in verse 14 when he speaks of the virgin birth. Now, some 750 years before Jesus had made his entrance into the world, Isaiah is foretelling of the coming of the Son of God. And he said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Now in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, again, referencing the coming of the Christ, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of course we know in Isaiah chapter 53, he chronicles the very death of the coming of the Messiah. Zechariah, in Zechariah 13 verse 1, speaks of the day that there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. You see, Zechariah was pointing to the coming of the Christ and his shedding of his blood. But the prophets were foretelling of the coming of the Christ. And so Peter, here in our text of 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, said, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. You know, we talk about God's plan of redemption and that promise that was made in Genesis 3 and verse 15 of the prophecies that were unveiled regarding the coming of the Christ. But I will also encourage you to read Luke 24 and verse 44, where before Jesus ascended to heaven, had spoken to his apostles, and he told them these words. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus was the fulfillment of every one of those prophecies. Isn't that wonderful to know? So we talk about the promise in accordance with the plan of redemption. We've heard the prophecies, but what about the person? Look again at verse 20 of 1 Peter 1, where the person is none other than Jesus the Christ. In verse 20, he says, Who verily, who? Jesus verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God has a divine timetable, and in accordance with that divine timetable, the Son of God had made his entrance into the world. In Galatians 4 and verse 4, Paul had said, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 10 and verse 5 that a body was prepared. That body was prepared where? In the womb of Mary, the virgin, the mother of Jesus. And so in Matthew 1 and verse 20, you can read about the angel of the Lord who, talking to Joseph in a dream, telling Joseph, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
And so the plan of redemption is involved. What? It involved the divine blueprint. Inherited in that blueprint, we find was the promises as well. And the promise specifically in Genesis 3.15 and 4. Now the, there were the prophecies. All of the prophecies concerning the coming of the Christ. Then there was also the person of the Christ Jesus. Where Christ inhabited this human flesh. He was a, someone he had, had said as earthly as his mother and as heavenly as his father. He said that. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's what Paul said in Colossians 2 and verse 9. But in John 1.14, John tells us that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That is, Jesus as Christ, his, this eternal being, whose going forth had been from the old, from everlasting, according to Micah 5, and verse 2, he inhabited human flesh. He was and is the Son of God. And so during the earthly ministry of Jesus, you might remember when Jesus asked the disciples in Matthew 16, 13 and following, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some said that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye? Pointing to those apostles. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so Christ inhabited human flesh. But then what was his purpose? Why come to this earth? Well, to save people from their sins, right? Jesus came to be a savior, and that's what the angels of God announced as, at the very birth of Christ. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. That's what the angel had told Joseph there in Matthew 1 and 21. And what, what about Jesus during his earthly ministry? Did he not say, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost? Luke 19 and verse 10. Now second, in looking at 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21, not only do we have the plan of redemption, but Peter outlines the price of redemption. What was the price of redemption? Well, the price of redemption was the very blood of Christ, wasn't it? Look at verse 18. Peter said, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. He said, You were redeemed with something that was far greater than what silver or gold could ever Possess. But notice verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, he says, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Two things that I want you to remember concerning the price of our redemption in connection to his blood. Number one, the blood of Christ is said to be precious. The precious 
blood. We're talking about the very blood of Jesus, the Son of God. The writer talks about the blood of the everlasting covenant. Have you ever thought about all the blood that was shed under the Old Testament? All of those animals that were shed? Think about all those animal sacrifices that were offered on a regular basis by the priestly tribe of Levi. Oh, I think about that great day of atonement and the the high priest who offered sacrifices for the sins of the people. One animal would be slain, blood would be shed, and then another animal where the high priest would lay his hands on the head of that goat and he would confess the sins of the people. And then that animal would be taken out into the wilderness, signifying the removal of sin from the presence of the people. When Jesus Christ died, not only did he shed his precious blood, but he carried our sins far away. Interesting, huh? Now you look back to the old covenant and you think about what the writer said in Hebrews 10 verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. All of those animal sacrifices that were under, offered under the old covenant did not remedy the problem of sin on behalf of man. They were simply a type of the ultimate sacrifice that we know that was realized in the antitype, that is Jesus, the Son of God. Now, Peter speaks of the blood of Christ, and he said it was precious. Now, we live in what I deem to be the greatest country on the earth, that is the United States. And what a privilege it is to be part of a country such as this with all of the freedoms that we enjoy. But the freedoms that we enjoy came with what? They came with a price. That's right. They came with a price. I don't know about you, but I think about those who sacrificed their lives for the freedoms of this land so that I could worship God peacefully and, 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 and able without any, any molestation from the outside forces. And I think about that being a very heavy price by those. Some of you here today have served to be able to afford us those freedoms, and we thank you for your service. But some of us as parents have sons or daughters. When we talk about the, uh, to help pay for those freedoms that you and I enjoy, they're in that service. They're probably in there even today. And again, we thank them for their service as well. It's something that we should not take lightly by any means about our freedoms because of what they're doing on that battlefield for us. What's the point? Our salvation costs God the Father, His only begotten Son. And when God the Father gave His Son for us, His Son shed His precious blood. Now, those of you that are parents, you would understand this. I think about sacrificing my son or sending my child. And if it were up to me, I would go in their place. I would, I would just take their place. I would rather be the one that go down to the battlefield instead of my child. But God loved us enough that he sent his son to die in our place. On that cross for you and for me. You know, when Jesus was transfigured on that mountaintop there in Matthew 17, God the Father said, 
this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Did God love his son? You know he did. God loved his son enough to send him to this earth to die on that old rugged cross, to shed his precious blood and pay the price for you and for me so that we can have the hope of eternal life in heaven. Think about God the Father. Here's Jesus Christ bowing in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, praying to God the Father. He says, oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, if there is some other way that you can and that your will can be accomplished, then let it come to pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. Matthew 26, 39. Jesus submitted to the very will of the Almighty Father, the Almighty God. That is, he wanted to make sure that he fulfilled his heavenly Father's redemptive plan. Jesus bowed. Jesus prayed in that garden of Gethsemane and the shadow of the cross was just a few hours later. I'm hoping that you're picturing that in your mind. God the Father, while in heaven, would allow mortal man to take his son and nail him to a cross. Can you even imagine your child being put to death? Can you think, can you visualize that in your mind's eye? Can you imagine God the Father in heaven watching as a howling mob crucified his son? To me, we dare not take the blood of Christ like the Hebrew writer warns against who had trodden underfoot the Son of God and had counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, Hebrews 10, 29. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. God the Father, uh, and Peter said that our redemption came at a great price. That is the precious blood of Christ. Now God the Father allowed his son to be put to death because of his immense love for you and me. Now the apostle Paul no long ago said it this way, but God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not only do we see the precious blood of Christ, but also the pure blood of Christ. Pure blood. Look at what Peter said in verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That makes it pure, doesn't it? We have a problem called sin. And the difference between you and me and Christ is reflected in the fact that we are sinful, but he was sinless. Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on that tree. And that's what Peter said there in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. But Jesus went to the cross bearing not his sins, but our sins, the sins of many. Matthew records for us Jesus bearing that cross after having been tried in the court that a pilot, that the Bible says in Matthew 27, 32, and as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. 
Simon bore the physical cross of Jesus to Golgotha. When Jesus carried our cross, he was bearing our cross with redemption in mind. Now, Paul said, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. To think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die for us. What crimes had Jesus committed that was worthy of death? None that I can read. None that I could even imagine. What Jesus experienced, the trial that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would freely admit that they trumped up charges in order to put him to death. It's the only way they could do it. But Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, was not guilty of any sin, nor was he guilty of any crime. But they put him to death nonetheless. As we think about the purity of Christ, his precious blood and his pure blood, Jesus shed his blood for our sins. Then there's a third thing I want you to see in our text this morning, and that has to do with the power of redemption. The power of redemption is reflected in the words of Peter down in verse 22. We talk about the basis for our redemption. The backup, we back up and look at verse 21. He writes, Who by him do believe in God, that God raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be where? In God. That's right. You and I today, we believe in the one called Jesus, and we believe that everything that is penned in this book about him is true by faith. That the word of God is revealed unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It is through our belief in the Christ. It is through our belief in the word of God that we respect in submission and respond in submission in obedience to the very will of God. And so in verse 22 of 1 Peter 1, Peter writes, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Our belief in the Lord. Our belief in that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the one whom God raised from the dead three days after having been put to death. The Christianity itself stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Romans 10, in verse 9, Paul said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. One of the things that you and I are called upon to believe in is the resurrected Christ, isn't it? Paul said that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain, and yet ye are still in your sins. And Peter alludes to the resurrected Christ in verse 21. But what about our belief? Our, our belief should lead us to submission, shouldn't it? That is yielding to the will of God so that we might be born again. Look at what Peter said in verse 23 of our text. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, 
but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. forever. What is the new birth? What does it mean to be born again? Well, it means to be baptized into Jesus Christ based upon what? Your faith and believing that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Based on the fact that you need to repent of those sins and then make that good confession. When you go down into the waters of baptism, you rise to walk in newness of life. Born again. In John 3, verse 1 and following, we read of Jesus being come to by Nicodemus in the night. Now, Nicodemus said in verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus thought that that Jesus was talking about a physical birth. And so then he asked this question in verse 4. How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the, fle- uh, the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. What do we need to be born again? What's the significance of the new birth? The reason that you and I need to be born again is so that our sins can be remitted That is forgiven. That is redemption. That's what Peter said on Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 when he said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. When we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we enjoy the very forgiveness, the remission, the removal of our sins, if you will. When we are baptized into Christ, it is to wash away our sins. Acts 22 and verse 16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so the new birth. We have talked about the significance of the new birth. The new birth is imperative because without it, we would not enjoy salvation at all. With it, we are saved. We become members of the ecclesia, that is, the body of Christ. The church is composed of saved people as well. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and verse 23 that Christ is the Savior of the body. Now, once we've done all that, our lives are brought into submission to the very will of God, and we honor this book called the Bible. That is, we try to live in accordance with the teaching, the precepts of this very book. And Peter said that this book will endure forever. You cannot go wrong with studying, reading, studying, and applying this book to your lives. It will endure forever. In verse 25, he said, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. The scriptures are what guide us in this life. Whenever you're traveling across the state or across the country or whatever, One of the things that helps you to get from point A to point B is a map, isn't it? Now, I know we live in a day and age where we have our smartphones and we can can either look at Google Maps or MapQuest or, yeah, those others. (laughs) 
Those get us from point A to point B. Now, one of the things that helps you is what we call the Bible as a roadmap that gets you from earth to heaven. And if we're studying that roadmap and we know it, we know the direction that we need to follow, don't we? The same as that folded up map or on our cell phone as a map, we are able to see what we need to do to get to heaven. It's said like this, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. And we want to go to heaven, don't we? And it's going to guide you safely from this earth to heaven. That's why the psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Here's the question. Do you this morning enjoy the riches of redemption? We sing the song from time to time, I'm redeemed. Are you redeemed? Have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Did you know that Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross in Colossians 1 and verse 20? And that you and I, this morning, we can leave here at peace with Almighty God by our obedience to the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe, as we studied this morning, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? If you believe, are you willing to make the necessary changes in your life that reflects that called repentance? To turn away from those things you've been doing wrong to start doing things that are right. Upon those repentant, that repentance, to make that good confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that without Him there would be no hope. And then to go down into the waters of baptism, all things 